Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Psalms 84. How many appreciates the word of the Lord? The strength, the help, the guidance the word of the Lord has given to my life is something that I can never really fully articulate its meaning. I am very grateful for the word of God. It's added so much and has kept me. Man, anytime I've needed direction and help, anytime that I've needed answers that I couldn't seem to find, I could turn to the Word of the Lord. It's a relevant, relevant book. Let's go to Psalms 84, and I want you to look there in the subscription of this particular psalm, if it is listed there in your Bible. Some of these are as ancient as the Psalms themselves. We don't believe that they're divinely inspired, but they can add meaning and relevance to our lives as we understand who these Psalms were written for. Many times it was to tell how the Psalm was to be sang, how it was to be used. And of course, this particular Psalm, it says to the chief musician of Giddeth, a psalm for the sons of Korah, a psalm for the sons of Korah. I think that's very notable to, to look at, and I want you to remember that. How amenable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even feigneth for the courts of the Lord. Do you feel the emotion that the psalmist is writing with in these verses. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house and the swallow a nest for herself. Where she may lay her young. Even thine altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways of them. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. And the rain also filleth the pools. And they go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. And I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will be withheld 
or withhold, or will he withhold from them that walk uprightly? O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Man, there's so much to unpack there in that particular psalm. But I want you to look back at verse 3. It says, The sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest. The sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest. That's what I want to use as a title today. The sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest. Let's pray that the Lord would anoint us here today and his spirit would have its way in this church service. Jesus, we need you, we desire you, we hunger for you, your presence, your power, your glory to be at work in this place. Touch the lives of your people that have gathered here today. God, I pray that you would make your spirit so accessible to each and every hungry heart. I pray as we begin to lift up our voices to you and we begin to pray and we begin to yield to you through the preaching of the word of the Lord that you would speak to us, that you would help us, that you would direct us. Give guidance to people that are in need. Give understanding and wisdom to those that are in need of it. I pray, Lord, that you would provide answers for those that are seeking for them. In Jesus' name we pray. And we thank you for it. Would you give praise and thanksgiving to the Lord? Thank you so much for standing. The altar. The altar, whether a piece of furniture or a designated place, whether a place where blood sacrifices are offered, or a place where incense were burned, or simply a place where men and women bow their knees and begin to seek after God. The altar has always and will always be on this side of glory a place where mankind can meet God. From the stark contrast of the worship of Cain who offered a self-centered offering unto the Lord, and Abel, who worshiped God according to his word. From that time until now, the altar has defined mankind's relationship with God. In fact, as you look into the word of the Lord, you can find a lot about the condition, the spiritual condition of people by looking to see if they're building altars and whom they are building those altars to. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all met God at an altar. Moses built altars. So did Joshua and Gideon. It was at an altar that Manoah and his wife heard that they would have a son and his name would be called Samson. The prophet Samuel built an altar as one of the last acts of his momentous ministry in life. David, a man after God's own heart, was a man that was familiar with building altars and praying and seeking God. It was God that he would many times seek and desire counsel from when he had a choice to make as to how to lead the kingdom that God had placed him over. 
It was at an altar where he would know whether he needed to go out against an enemy and whether or not God would be with him and God would give him victory over that enemy. And on and on throughout the scripture, it was at an altar that people shed the weight of their sins, that gave up their cares, forgot who was against them and remembered who was for them. It was at an altar that sins were forgiven and hope was reborn and people found a reason to continue to live on. Over and over again, people have found God at an altar. And still to this day, it has not lost its power. Still to this day, this is a place where we can make a connection with God. Still to this day, the altar is a place where we repent of our sins, where we make peace with God, where we start walking with Him, and we start obeying Him. That all begins, that all starts at the altar. In fact, as you study the Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness and then the temple as it was established uh, and built, first of all, by Solomon you'll find that the altar was the most prominent piece of furniture in both of them. Matter of fact, as you made your way onto the compound of the tabernacle, the first thing that you was confronted with when you came into the courtyard was the altar. First things first. That was to be the priority. That was the thing that you was to visit first before you could move on before you could go on certainly to the glory and the power of the holies of holies, you had to stop by the altar and take care of things at an altar. And can I tell you that that's the way that it still is today. We have to visit an altar and be familiar with an altar before we can ever experience the power of God and the glory of God before we could ever experience the blessings of God and know what it is to really be in His presence and feel Him and experience Him to the fullness, we first must come to an altar and unload some things and let Him cleanse us and wash us and purify us with the power of His blood. Aren't you thankful for the altar today? And the majority of the time it was at an altar where our hearts were open, where we learned how to yield and become malleable to the will of God. We discovered the will of God by coming and surrendering ourselves at an altar. And it's there that most of us receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, we understand that an altar can be built anywhere. It doesn't just have to be in this building. It doesn't just have to be in this church house, but you can have an altar at home. I've known of people having an altar in a break room at work. I've known of people driving down the road and felt the presence of God and pulled off beside the road and they had an altar 
on the byway and they talked to the Lord and they began to seek the face of God on the shoulder of the road and God met them there and God began to work in their life and God began to touch them. I'm going to tell you an altar is anywhere when your heart's condition is surrendered to God, when you're willing to repent and you're willing to open up yourself and say, God, I need you to speak to me. An altar is not just about what I do there, but it's also a place where God meets me and feels me and I receive from him what I need. Is anybody ever needed an altar in your life? Is anybody ever visited an altar and found hope and found peace and been restored in your joy again by coming to an altar? As far as I can tell through study of the scripture, the altar serves three purposes. We find that in the word of God, the altar was a place, of course, of sacrifice where the blood of innocent animals were slain and the sins of the people could be rolled ahead until they were finally settled at Calvary. I'm so thankful that church is different today than it was back in those days in the Old Testament. I'm so thankful that we didn't have to come to church loaded down and burdened with a sacrificial animal. Can you imagine coming to church with a goat tied on top of your hood? Or maybe on the rack of your car if you have one. Or maybe in your trunk. Or even worse, in your back seat. Uh, several years ago, I had evangelist preaching for me. And he was a, he was a, a hog hunter of all things. And uh, he said, brother, he said, I've been looking. And he said, there's a fellow over here that has a hog dog for sale. He said, you mind if we go over and look at it? And if we could, I might. I might buy it, and he said, you think we can bring it home with us? And I had a Nissan Maxima at the time. I didn't have a pickup truck. And uh, sure enough, we went over, and, and this guy had several dogs around, and he picked out the one he wanted. He bought it, and I don't know what it must have looked like when we was driving down the road, and I told him, whatever you do, if that dog scratches my seats up, I'm going to scratch you up. I said, so you keep a hold of that thing. And I don't know what it must look like in a Nissan Maxima with a pit bulldog's head hanging out the window and an evangelist with his hand on the collar holding it very firmly. But I'm sure it must have been a sight. But can you imagine people coming to church and having to carry with them a sacrifice so that they could bring it and offer it so that their sins could be rolled ahead? I think we've got it much easier today that when we have the opportunity to come to the house of God, we can come and we could say, Lord, you've already given the sacrifice. All we have to do is have faith in it and accept it and repent of our sins. And you will take care of, of the things in our lives that we need remitted. You'll take care of the things in our lives that we need cleansed. You'll take care of the things in our lives that we're unable to deal with ourselves. I'm going to tell you the blood deals with things that you're not able to deal with. That a psychologist can't deal with. It takes care of things that counseling can't take care of. It takes care of things that pills won't cover up. It takes things away that drinking won't wash away. But you come to the altar and say God I need you in my life to cleanse and wash me by the power of your blood and he's faithful to do it hallelujah I think we ought to give him some praise and worship and thanksgiving for the altar 
It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where things died. And, and how does that relate to you and I in the New Covenant, the New Testament? This represents the old man where he comes and we don't, we don't come and slay something else. We know that Christ has been slain in our stead. But we know that when we come to the altar, what is required of us is we got to die out to his will. We got to die out to being obedient to the word of God. We've got to die out to our old man, our old ways, our old carnality, our flesh, and say, God, I choose to live for you. I choose to do your will. That's what the altar means to us. And it's there at the altar that after we've died out and repented of our sins that we have the opportunity to be raised to newness of life. That's through the power of the Holy Ghost. That same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that touches an individual that comes to an altar and repents and dies out to their sin. That same spirit resurrects them and gives them hope, gives them life and life more abundantly gives them the power to live above sin and not beneath it gives them the power to cast off old addictions and old problems and issues that they've never found an answer to I'm so thankful that I can come to an altar and receive the answers that I need in life Amen. also we know that the altar is not only a place of sacrifice but the altar is a place given to us for prayer, it's where we have holy fellowship with him, with God. It's where we come and meet with him. We're, we're full of fallacies and we're full of inconsistencies and we have the propensity to make mistakes. But it's where man comes in contact with a God that cannot fail. A God that is holy and beyond, beyond any blemish, beyond even the capacity to fail. The Bible says this of our God, that he cannot lie. He doesn't even have the capacity to lie. We all have the propensity to do that. We all have the capacity to fail. We all have the capacity for sin, the root system of sin, even after we're saved, is still there. And given the right conditions, it can come alive again. But I'm thankful that through prayer, we can keep those things subdued. We can keep those things, uh, amen, dead. We don't have to let them live again in our life. If you once was a drunk and a drug addict, you don't have to go back to that. If you once had addictions in your life, you don't have to go back to that. You can be saved completely from those things. I believe that with all of my heart. I know that once we're forgiven and once we're set free, the tie has been broken. Amen. Those things that used to have a grasp on us, they don't have a grasp on us anymore. They used to have influence over us. They don't have influence over us anymore. But we've been free from those things because the Bible said he that the Son has set free is free indeed. I'm so thankful for the freedom that the Spirit offers. I'm so thankful for the liberty of the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Oh, somebody ought to give him some praise right now. Somebody ought to lift him up and glorify his name right now. 
It's, it's at the altar that we make our petitions known unto God. We bring our needs to Him. We bring our desires unto the Lord. You know, I was raised up with the idea, and it was no fault of anybody else. It was just my perception of things. That, that God, you know, for me to bring my desires to Him and what I would like for Him to do in my life and how I would desire to be used of Him to better the kingdom of God, those were things that I didn't need to worry God with. As if God could get overloaded. As if God could be burdened like you and I. As if God had limitations that you and I face or handicaps that you and I wrestle with. We, we sometimes try to relate to God, and that's really the only measurement that we have, by our own feelings and our own, our own deals that we grapple with on a day-to-day basis. And we tend to translate that into our idea of what God is and our concept of God. And that's really a fallacy. I believe that God wants us to live to our fullest potential. He wants us to be blessed and he wants us to be a blessing to his kingdom. And the only way that we can be a blessing to his kingdom is for him to pour blessings out upon our lives. That's how he chooses to do it. And it's not a selfish thing and it's not a wrong thing. And it's not a a wrong concept of God for us to come before him and boldly ask him, God, I want you to give me the ability to do thus and so because I want to be a blessing to your kingdom. I want you to help me on my job to do this job with excellence so that I'll be promoted so that I can be a blessing to your kingdom. I want you to elevate me on my job and raise me up to a new position because I want to be a blessing to your kingdom. I want you to lead and I want you to guide me in areas of influence because I want to be a blessing. I'm going to tell you if the underlying desire is to be a blessing to the kingdom of God, you should not be ashamed. You should not be intimidated to ask God to bless you and to help you to achieve those goals. If the desire is I'm doing this for the glory of God, I'm going to college for the glory of God, I'm taking this training for the glory of God, I'm doing these things for the glory of God, I'm working this job for the glory. Everything in a child of God's life should be for the glory of the kingdom of God. And when you get that kind of concept of God and you realize that God begins to give you the wherewithal, He begins to give the ability. He even gives you the intellect or whatever is necessary to achieve the goal because he knows that you're going to give that talent. You're going to give that ability to God and he's going to bless you accordingly. I'm telling you he told us in his word that he would make us the head and not the tail. He would put us out front and not behind. God wants us to be successful in the kingdom of God. Amen. We can be a blessing. Come on, let's lift up our voice to the Lord. Let's give him praise right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody give him a wave offering. But we make our petitions known. Our prayers are answered at the altar. Dreams come true at an altar. Somebody has a dream of what they want God to do. You need to articulate that in an altar. Don't, don't be vague. Don't, don't just be, don't, don't, don't paint it with a broad brush. But get down to the fine details and say, God, this is what I'd like you to do. 
Don't, don't speak in generalizations, but speak specifically to the things that you want God to do in your life. Families are put together, back together at an altar. It's at an altar that we have this privilege, and I, I really consider it that, of prayer. And you know, for the saint of God, the longer they live for the Lord, the more they realize how much this really is a privilege to be able to have contact with God. You know, it hasn't always been that way. There used to be a veil, and only certain folks could go into that arena where God really was and his presence and his essence really was they could hear about it they, they could hear the testimonies about it from these priests that were able to go there but they themselves had never experienced that the fullest but the Bible tells us that the veil was rent amen and we have an opportunity and we need to take advantage of that opportunity that we can walk into the very presence of God and say hey I need help I need strength I need your touch I need you to work in my life. I need you to take care of me. I need you to provide. I need you to protect. I need you to watch over. I've got a petition that I want to make known to God. And then finally we, we understand that the altar is a place of sanctuary. And that's what's kind of talked about in this particular text. Altar is a place of sanctuary. It's a place of safety and security. It's a Refuge. I don't know if you can relate, but I know I have come to church at times with seemingly weights, weights that were so heavy. I'm not talking about sin, but the Bible does talk about weights. And I'm not saying that they were not allowed, or I'm not hinting that it's a lack of faith if you have weights. Because as I've already stated, there's been times that I have came with it seemed the weight of the world on my shoulders, worries, and perhaps even bordering on fears and concerns and doubts and the clouds, the storm clouds spiritually gathering overhead and, and, and all of those things I'm dealing with. And, I, and I, I got to the house of God. I came into the presence of the Lord through the worship. And when the preaching of the word of the Lord went forth, I felt strength. And then when the altar invitation was given and I came down to the altar and I stood in the place that we call the altar around the front and I lifted up my voice and said God I need you to intervene I need you to work I need you to help me I can't shoulder this alone he said my yoke is easy my burden is light I'm going to tell you we have a yoke partner we have somebody to get in this thing with us we don't have to fight any battles by ourselves you don't have to carry any burden alone you don't have to go this all by yourself but you can have the help and the strength of almighty God in your life you can know what it is to have him lighten that and strengthen you and help you along the way. I'm preaching to somebody in this place. You may have came into this house weighted down. You may have came into this place burdened. You may have came in here with a heavy heart. You may have felt like clouds were gathering overhead and darkness was on the horizon. But you're going to leave here and the sun's going to be shining spiritually. And fresh new hope is going to arise in your heart. And you're going to realize God's been with me all of the time and I realized it when I got to the altar.
Come on, let's talk to him right now. Let's reach out to him. Let's take advantage of this privilege that we have. You come to an altar, you find peace. You find that joy returns. You find that things get better. Matter of fact, it's a place of safety. This, uh, the Proverbs 18 and verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. The altar is not just for sinners. The altar is not just for backsliders. That is for them. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the altar is for saints of God. The righteous too. The righteous run into it and are safe. Amen. The moment, in other words, that they get to the presence of God and they call on the name of the Lord. When we get to an altar and we lift up our voice to the name of the Lord and we begin to call on Him. At that moment, we are safe. We feel His presence. We know that He's near. We understand that He hears us. We know that He's never really been that far away. And a sudden peace comes over us when we get to the altar and we cry out to the name of the Lord. It's a strong power. Man, I, I, I don't know how you picture that, but I, I just get in my imagination a picture in my mind uh, of somebody that's just one person and there's an army that is after them and they know that there's a castle, there's a, a strong tower that they can run into and so they're running with all of their might and they're, and they're weary and their feet uh, is heavy from the long run that they made to try to get to the strong tower and finally they make their way across the bridge uh, that goes across the moat and they run through the open doors uh, into the strong tower and the bridge uh, Amen is drawn up and the doors are closed and they feel the relief and they feel the hope and they feel the safety. They feel I made it. I made it to the refuge. I made it to the place where I could find peace. I made it to the place of safety. I don't have to worry anymore. I got him to turn to. I got him to call on. I got him to pray. I got him to seek after the strong town. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift up our voice to him and let's cry out to him again. That's why we linger at the altar. That's why we don't get in a hurry when it comes to the altar. Somebody that's really making that connection, they're not so worried about lunch. They're not worried about what's on the agenda after church. When you really make that connection in the presence of the Lord, you don't want anything to disconnect you. You just want to stay connected and absorb and receive as much as you can because it's a safe place. Out there, there's darkness. Out there, there's disappointments and troubles and hurts and pains. Out there, we get battered and bruised and broken burdened down but we have an altar and there's some things that are apparent by this particular text that I want to point out to you here this morning and the first one when I read this particular psalm that I find is that everyone everyone is welcome at the altar you may not be able 
or be ready, rather, to serve as an usher in the church. You may not be ready to sing in the choir. You may not be ready to play an instrument. You may not be ready to teach a Sunday school class. But everyone is ready for the altar. Lawyers and laborers, physicians and plumbers, it doesn't matter what your station of life is, you can come to an altar and you can pray and you can seek the face of God. I notice verse six or verse three, it says, Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her head. Now I understand when we talk about sparrows and swallows, we're talking about probably the most plentiful bird that there is. Just about everybody I assume here knows what a sparrow is, has seen a sparrow, and most of us probably know what a barn swallow is. We understand that, and maybe we even relate them in many ways to being the same thing. But we're not talking about eagles. This is not a rare bird. People, they'll drive hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles when eagles are going to visit a certain area, and they'll they'll go and they'll snap pictures of them and look at them through binoculars and and uh, spend a lot of time trying to sight an eagle. We all know what it is to be driving down the road and see a hawk swoop down into a field to get its prey and how majestic that is to note their strength and their ability. And uh, we, we see these various types of falcons and birds and, and, and we, we note all of those things, but a sparrow, none of us really pay any particular attention to. Matter of fact, Jesus even made light of this. He said... Uh, two sparrows can be purchased for a farthing. He said, just a penny. You, you can purchase two sparrows. They're not worth much. But he said, even the sparrows. He said, I will take care of them. And there's not one of them that falls to the ground that I don't take note of. I know them. Every one of them in particular. They're not just a flock of birds to me. They're not just uh, another nuisance to me. But they're very special to me. And I, I care about them. And so if I care about something so simple as a sparrow, then I must care a whole lot about that person that I created to be a living soul. I must care about you even more. I must care about you a whole lot. You're the only one that I died for. You're the only one that I shed blood for. I didn't shed blood for sparrows, but I did shed blood, amen, for my people. I did shed blood for the human soul because I want that soul to be saved. But what the psalmist is articulating through the Holy Ghost right here is that a sparrow and a swallow, they, they, though they may be a nuisance, though they may be the lowest of the species, though they may be the one that we discount and we think there's plenty of and they're, they're not much to us, they're not a rarity, they're not a big find, they're not something we want to take a picture with. Oh, but he said, I have made a place in my house. I made a place and my altars for those that are in need for those amen that feel like the downcast for those that feel like nobody cares that nobody's paying attention that nobody knows who they are that, that nobody is concerned for their problem I'm going to tell you there's a God in this place you may feel like a reject you may feel like that it's a hopeless situation you may feel like nobody else can identify with it and nobody else amen even knows what I'm going 
going through. There's a God in this house that is able to touch you. We have a Lord, amen, a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows what you're going through. Provides an altar for even those that feel the most downcast. Those that feel the most unworthy. Those that would be considered the filthiest. God has a place for them. He said the sparrow has found a house and the swallow a nest. But he doesn't stop there. We also can understand by this particular text that this altar, amen, that these particular birds that he's referring to, sparrows and swallows, though they may seem like they're a lot alike, as I begin to study about this, I found that they were natural enemies. Sparrows rob one another's nest. Sparrows destroy one another's eggs. Sparrows many times kill one another's young. Not sparrows, sparrows and swallows. Sparrows kill the young of a swallow and vice versa. Destroy the eggs of one another. And these are natural enemies. But they found a common place. They found a place together to dwell at an altar. Can I just tell you that a church is filled with all kinds of different personalities and all kinds of different people. And there's even conflicting personalities sometimes. And there's different things, uh, amen, in a church of any size that, that are going to take place and they're going to go on. But the commonality that we have and what brings us together is the altar. When we can come to an altar, we can find that our differences can be laid aside because our differences die at an altar. When we come to an altar, that's what unifies us together. We're unified, the Bible said, by one spirit. Are uh, we unified together into one? body. It's what happened at the altar that unifies us together because at the altar is where we receive the Spirit of God. We surrender to the will of God and we find that we're more alike than we're different. We find that we're stronger when we're together. We find that we really do need one another. That we can't do this by ourselves. We can't fight this fight alone. That's why God connected you to the body of Christ because all of us are able to fight the enemy together. None of us are able to survive by ourselves. That's why I've been so concerned. That's why I realize that people need the church now more than ever. It's because the altar is what brings us together and gives us strength. And by coming together we have that ability to overcome whatever obstacle that stands before us. Come on now. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? All of those things get dropped at the altar. There's no big eyes or little U's. There's no elitism when it comes to the church. There was nothing elite about Christ going to Calvary and putting, allowing them to 
plait a crown of thorns and push it down upon his head and spear his side and nail him, nail him to a cross. What is elite about that? But it took that kind of behavior. It took that kind of willingness for him to reign. The Bible said he reigns from the cross. He doesn't reign from the throne necessarily, but he reigns. His power came through him being willing to humble himself, him being willing to die out to the will of the flesh. And I'm going to tell you today that the only way you're going to have power over sin is by humbling yourself at an altar and saying, Lord, I need your power. I need your strength. I can't do this. I can't fight this in my own ability and in my own strength. But I need the power of the blood of Jesus on my side. Come on, lift up your voice and let's praise him again together. Then number two, verse seven, they go, the Bible says, from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. From strength to strength. I begin to notice that. You know, we got the propensity to rely upon our own strength. We live in America, and we kind of see ourselves as exceptional, and I don't think there's a whole lot wrong with that as long as we don't transfer it into spiritual things and think that we're exceptional and that we have ability and power to do this by ourselves or on our own. We have to put our faith and our trust in God. We have to believe that our power comes from Him and our ability comes from Him. Our strength to live and do justly and live righteously comes from God. Hallelujah. At our best attempts, we stumble, we fail, we we come up short. And we need the strength and the hope that comes from God. And it's strength that we can find at the altar, the Bible says. And you know, you make it through one trouble and trial and situation and temptation or whatever it may be and you get to feeling like after you come through that that man I, I got the strength I, I got the power I got the ability and that's what we have trials for us to, to give us that faith and that confidence that God can bring us through and so we can face greater situations and we can believe God even the more as we step into the future but that's that's not entirely what it's for uh, that's just a portion that's just a little bit of what our trial and our temptation is meant for but when we get through that we have to realize that I I miss I may have received the measure of strength that I needed for that moment in that particular time and that 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 situation in my life but I'm going to need more strength and I'm going to need more power in the future because I'm going to tell you the days that we're living in they're increasing in wrath they're increasing in evil and men's hearts are waxing worse and worse we need more strength than we needed 10 years ago we need more strength I could say than we needed 2 years ago we need more strength than we've ever needed before and the Bible says that the altar is able to give me strength and it's able to build upon that strength and bring me to a new strength strength to strength 
death. Does that remind you of another scripture in the Bible that tells us that as we mature in our walk with God, we're to go from glory to glory and faith to faith. Whatever victory that you've seen in the past, it's not over yet. God wants to do more through you and for you. God wants to take you to a new level. Quit resting on your laurels. Quit talking about what happened for you 20 years ago and start talking about what God's going to do today and what God is able to do tomorrow and what God is going to help you with now because we serve the same God who has the same power and he said from strength to strength. Amen. Well, I'm just going to say it. If I hear one more time in this church, that's the way that we have always done it. That's the way we did it 25 years ago. Well, there's people that are adults in that 25 years of time. You understand that? And they got the Holy Ghost, and they feel a part of this church as much as you do. And they were not raised up doing it that way. And I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the way that you have to adapt and you have to change a little bit. You have to be able to tweak things and try new things every once in a while. And and, and, and this person, they always do it this way. And this person, they always do it that way. Come on, somebody. Let's get enough grace in our heart to realize that we got to go to the next level. we got to go to the next glory. we got to go to the next place of strength. That God has more for us. That we don't live our lives looking in the review mirror and talking about the old days. But we believe that greater days and greater things are at the God that you're serving. He's not just a God of the past. He's a God of the present. He's a God of possibilities for the future. There's more power. There's more glory. Come on now. Amen. Some of you went went dead on me just then. But I'm telling you, it's the truth whether you like it or not. That's the way it is. Amen. There's greater revival than you've ever seen. These are the days that God wants to bless. These are the days that God wants to work. These are the days that God wants to answer prayer. These are the days that he wants to fulfill his promise. Why don't you stand with me right now? Let's give praise to him. We can come back and be renewed in our strength. When life gets hard and life gets heavy, the altar, strong saints realize and value the altar in their life. That's right. Amen. Praise God. The subscription there in the Psalm, Psalm 84, a psalm for the sons of Korah. That's something that really reveals a lot about this particular psalm. I know that it's not that particular portion. It's not divinely inspired. Not the actual words of the psalmist, perhaps in the flow of anointing in Scripture. But if you realize who it's for and who it's to, then you realize, you realize the importance of this. Korah. You study Korah back, you find that the first place that this name is mentioned is one of the three sons of Esau who was rebellious and rejected holy things and was a profane man, the Bible says. That's the first place it's mentioned. Not in a good light. 
And then it doesn't get any better in the book of Numbers when you see it mentioned again, this name mentioned again. It was in rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And God brought judgment against them. The earth swallowed them up. But evidently not everyone of the lineage of Korah was swallowed up. Because the Bible says in this particular verse that this passage is written to the sons of Korah. Evidently there were those that were left and that would be given a choice be made to make a decision if you will. Am I going to follow the path that has always been example before me? Am I going to walk in the sins of my great-grandfather and ancestors? And Am I going to walk in the sins of those that went ahead of me and my family? Or am I going to take the opportunity and avail myself to the chance that I have right now to live a different life, to live a different way, to live according to the Word of God. Am I going to come to an altar and say, God, whatever it is that made my forefathers make the decisions and the choices that they did, get it out of me because I don't want to walk in rebellion. I don't want to walk in disobedience to your word. I don't want to be a preacher hater. I don't want to be a church hater. I don't want to have bitterness in my heart. I don't want to be against what you're doing. And I certainly don't want to stand in the way of your promises. That's really what Coro did in the book of Numbers. Tried to stand in the way ultimately of the promise of God being fulfilled in people's lives. I don't want to be a hindrance. But God, I want to walk with you. And God, there may have been some bad choices in my past. Bad decisions made along the way. But God, I want to correct it now. I want to make it right now. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. The Lord describes to us through the psalmist that that's what the altar's for. That's what the altar's for. We can come to the altar. We can come to the place and make reconciliation for those things and say, God, I'm surrendering because that's really what the altar is all about. He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service. The very least that I could do is take advantage of the opportunity that you've afforded me. I get to come to an altar. I wonder if there's somebody who'd like to step out where you are today and say, God, I thank you. I thank you for an altar. I always want to value the altar. I want the altar to always be my friend. I want to always hold the altar in high esteem. I never want to shun the altar, stay away from the altar. I don't ever want to not visit the altar when the opportunity is given to me. But God, help me to always be willing to yield and surrender and open up my heart to an altar. It's at an altar I can make things right. It's at an altar I can repent. It's at an altar I can get forgiveness. It's at an altar that I can see things changed. It's at an altar that I can give up things and unburden my life in certain areas. It's at an altar that I can make peace with God. It's at an altar where I can have my joy restored. 
It's at an altar that I can find answers and I can gather the wisdom and strength that I need to make the right choices that are before me. It's all found at an altar. Come on, let's reach towards Him. Let's talk to Him. Let's seek after Him. Would you call on His name right now? Would you reach out unto God right now? Would you seek the face of the Lord right now? Come on, I'm thankful for an altar.